friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We are here to keep you guys up on the literature, and to do that, we spoon-feed you it. Now, let's take a quick look ahead at everything that we'll be covering. First off, otic quinolones were found to increase the risk of tendon rupture, but it's a small increase, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Second, finally, we can use Paxlovid not so off-label now. There was an association with benefit even in vaccinated patients. Third, comatose patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest had no difference in outcomes with MAP targets of 63 or 77. And then in those same patients, high or low PO2 targets didn't matter either. And then finally from the last article, this study found no need for LP in infants 29 to 60 days old with a positive UA. If you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber. Come on. So if you would like to get full access to both the Journal Feed podcast and the blog to get all of the week's summaries, then you'll have to look at the details up on journalfeed.org. And remember, we don't want money to ever be a barrier to patient care, so if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, please get in touch. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were all brought to you by Clay Smith. Okay, let's jump over to the second article. Titled, Near Matrovir Use and Severe COVID-19 Outcomes During the Omicron Surge out of the New England Journal of Medicine. Now, playing directly into the hands of Pfizer, the majority of Paxlovid use right now is not on the originally studied population. So real-world data like this study is very important so that we can see that what we're doing is both safe and, I mean, that it's worth it. It's actually effective. The EPIC HR study showed that Paxlovid is effective in high-risk unvaccinated patients during the Delta variant era. The majority of these patients in the study that we have for you today were vaccinated. And so this is not the originally studied population. And in the previous data from the EPIC HR study, in the patients who were seropositive, the effect was very minor. Also, Pfizer stopped their standard risk trial early because there was a lack of effect, making me doubly interested to see trials like this one that we're presenting today because this is real-world use, and it's going to be in the patients that we're going to continue using it on. This trial was from a large health organization that covers half the population of Israel. The study was conducted in the Omicron variant era, which is more relevant to our kind of current state of things. They found that nirmatrovir, that's Paxlovid, was only used in 4% of eligible patients, not that often. But 48% of the patients it was used on were vaccinated patients who were vaccinated against COVID-19. They decided to divide the cohort into two groups, those older than 65 and those aged 40 to 64. And the older group, those above 65, like I said, there was a significant reduction in hospitalization, 15 versus 58 per 100,000, and that gives an adjusted hazard ratio of 0.27. There was also less death an adjusted hazard ratio of 0.21. Pretty good. For the younger group, though, there was no significant differences. Now, even if the Omicron variant has been fairly mild, it certainly still can be deadly, and particularly in the elderly. Nilmatrovir might be helpful, which is nice to see. But of course, you still can't use this on the majority of patients. When I've tried to use it personally, I usually get foiled by some kind of medication incompatibility, and I'm not going to go stopping immunosuppressants on a transplant patient. 
it is really good to see that there's some effect here because the majority of the population now is vaccinated and we would still love to have good treatments for COVID-19. In a spoonful, though it wasn't previously technically indicated in the vaccinated, this trial shows benefit for hospitalization and mortality rates in patients over 65 years old who received nilmatrivir in the Omicron era. Okay, jumping over to the fifth article. Titled, Serious Bacterial Infections in Young Febrile Infants with Positive Urinalysis Results out of the journal Pediatrics. In febrile infants less than 60 days old, if we have a clear cause for their fever, then it often makes it less likely that they have some other cause of a fever as well. UTIs being the most common cause of fever in our modern age, well, it would be nice if a positive UA made it less likely they had something worse, like meningitis, and then maybe we could skip the LP. This was a secondary analysis of prospectively collected data on 7,200 febrile non-critically ill infants less than 60 days old. 15% of them had a positive UA, here defined as any nitrate, leukocyte esterase, or white blood cells greater than 5 per high-powered field. In these patients with a positive UA, bacteremia was common, 5.8%. So for sure, you're definitely going to need blood cultures on all of these kids. What we're talking about here, though, is LPs. So what was the risk of meningitis? Well, if the infant was less than 28 days old, then whether or not they had a UA that was positive or not didn't change the likelihood of meningitis. Meaning, if they have a fever and they're less than 28 days old, even if they have a positive UA, you're going to want that LP. In the infants who were 29 to 60 days old, though, then in children with a positive UA, there were no cases of bacterial meningitis. That's zero out of 700 infants. If the UA was negative, then there were still nine cases of meningitis. So if you haven't found any source for your fever, you've got to keep searching. But if the UA is positive, then other than getting blood cultures, you might be able to stop there, meaning no LP. In a spoonful, the study found no infants aged 29 to 60 days old who had a positive UA to have bacterial meningitis. So they probably didn't need an LP. Okay, that's everything. Let's do our wrap-up. From the first article, the risk of tendon rupture even with otic quinolones is still real. Keep an eye out, but it's not going to be a common occurrence either way. From the second article, Nirmatrivir shows benefit in the Omicron era and even in vaccinated patients, but only if you're over 65 years old. From the third article, comatose out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients do not benefit from a higher MAP target of 77 millimeters of mercury. Sticking with 65 would be just fine, and in fact, this trial only used 63. From the fourth article, just like the MAP targets didn't make a difference, neither did PAO2 targets in this same trial. And then finally, this study should boost your confidence in skipping the LP in infants 29 to 60 days old with a positive UA as an explanation for their fever. Now, links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a nice nugget of spaced repetitions so that you remember all of this research. If you feel like you're missing out a little bit, you'd like to hear more podcasts, you'd like to get the whole newsletter as well, then you can come join us over at the members feed. Now, our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding. And so we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research, one spoonful at a time.